It's time for another retro throwback sidetrack bonus episode of The Hive Jive. This bonus episode, titled Thymol Entrance Portals, originally aired on Patreon back on September 3rd of 2020. Enjoy. Hey, all you Hive Jive junkies out there, it's that time again. Join our hosts, John Swan and Ken Milam, for another bonus edition of The Hive Jive. Welcome, all you Hive Jive junkies. It is another bonus episode, and hopefully Ken can uh, make it through it. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I know you're here. It's just whether or not you're here. I'm here. So I sent you a message. We actually got, um, this was a link that was shared with us from Meg and Meg had sent over an article, and I had actually seen it. My mom had sent it to me as well, and I just sent it over to you so you could take a look at it. But the the title of it is, A 17-year-old from Connecticut is saving honeybees. And what they have done is they have created a thymol-emitting entranceway. Now, from the looks of it, this is, and I I, I have a screenshot of it so i can't actually go into the full link at the moment to to read all of it but they have created a material that is permeated with the thymol and it's got small openings it kind of reminds me of a mouse guard where the bees can still come and go through it but the mice can't Mm -hmm. and you put this over your entrance the bees then have to crawl through these holes that go through this thymol permeated material and the thymol, which is apigard, is thymol. So that is one of the organic mite treatments out there. When the bees climb through that, it actually treats the bee and will remove the mites from the bee or kill the mites because the mites come in contact with it as they go through this, this reducer. What do you think about that? I'd try it, but... You think it would, you think it would work? When we put that in the in the in the boxes with, you know, you put it over there over the cone over the frames, you're leaving that stuff for so long. I mean, you're looking at two weeks uh, of leaving it in there, and then taking it out and then putting another batch in for two more weeks for the full uh, get go. Now this is just gonna get it on them and it's gonna knock a mite off and kill them. Would you have to leave it on there forever? I mean, are you going to be changing that out, putting it on every week or so, uh, putting one of those on, or is it one that you put on and leave it there from now on? See, I kind of think that the concept with it is you put it on there and leave it on there. That's my thought. You put it on there and you leave it on there. Um Let's see. So if we go down here, I'll actually pull this up here real quick and and I will quote and paraphrase. So it says, Luckily, it seems that a young woman from Greenwich, Connecticut may have the answer. A 17-year-old student who recently graduated from Greenwich High School is headed to the University of Connecticut in just a few weeks. This prior year, she worked on a science project that has the potential to solve one of the world's large-scale problems. 
she has designed an entranceway for beehives that can stop varroa mite infestations in its tracks. She was inspired by the work of Dr. Samuel Ramsey, and uh, Sam Ramsey is the scientist. He's a younger gentleman, but he's the scientist that actually found that the mites are not feeding on the hemolyph, the blood of the bee, but they're actually feeding on the fat bodies of the bee. And so he is responsible for some of that research. And he was a speaker at a symposium that she went to. And because of that, that kind of inspired her to go through and and start looking into this stuff. So when she came up with this idea for the entrance, the foraging bees travel through the hive entrance up to 40 times a day. This results in 0.5 micrograms of thymol being in contact on the body of the bee, which is enough to kill off the mites but not harm the bees. So the thymol-emitting entranceway in lab settings over the course of three weeks reduced 70%. It ended up in a 70% reduction of the varroa mite infestation inside the colony. Now, the only thing that I can think of right off the top of my head that could be an issue, well, a couple of things, actually. Bees Number don't one, like the smell of the, the thymol. <laughs> There you go. They're not a fan of the smell of thymol. No. And it could cause a colony to to have adverse reactions and may not want to be there. When we treated your colony in the heat of the summer last year, even though we were within the temperature constraints for the apigard, it pissed them off. We killed one colony. The other colony said, screw you and absconded. Mm-hmm. And the comb still smells like thymol. Yeah, it does. And the, the bees... that that survived and stayed abandoned I got the did not like abandoned, it abandoned <laughs> abandoned the comb yeah. that was closest to the actual treatment mm-hmm. and then they wouldn't want to do anything with it and when you pull that comb out it still smelled like thymol so number one right off the bat is uh, that could have some sort of adverse reaction and again I have not made it all the way through this so the answers may be in here but I'm just theorizing and hypothesizing here with everybody. The other thing that I see as a potential issue is even if this is on the entrance and you change it out every so often, but it is a permanent thing, if it's meant to be permanently there, so you're constantly killing the mites, you're only killing the mites that are the phoretic mites that are on the the bees that are going into the colony. So the bee has went out and was open feeding or at a pollen source or a water source and and ended up coming into contact with a bee that had a mite and the mite jumped from bee to bee and is now coming back to that colony. So when that bee goes through the entrance, that mite is then killed. So you've stopped the inflow of mites into the colony. Mm-hmm. Also, when a bee leaves the colony, if a mite is on the back of that bee and it's hitching a ride out to try and infiltrate another colony somewhere, when it leaves the colony and it goes out through this entrance, it comes into contact with the treatment and kills the mite. So you've stopped the in and out. But what it is not stopping is the mite's reproductive cycle inside the colony. So any mite that is in the colony that is in a brood cell underneath the capping, feeding on that larva. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Making three of them. Exactly. Making three or four depending on the type of larva that it's feeding on. When that happens, it comes out of that cell. You know, one pregnant mite goes in, three to four pregnant mites or more come out, Mm -hmm. 
And then if all they do is run across and immediately go and hide down in other brood cells that are getting ready to emerge, you're never going to stop that increase and it's going to continue going. You have stopped any new ones coming in and you've stopped any other ones going out. So this may be something that has to be done in conjunction with other treatments. And it, it may end up having a good effect if you do that in conjunction with stuff. So say you start off uh, and you do a oxalic acid vaporization a couple of times or a formic acid treatment and you have this in, uh, this reducer put on there so that you've got the treatment on the entryway. Now you've drastically knocked down the mites inside the colony, if not eliminated the majority or all of them. And you've got a, me a method on the front to prevent new mites from gaining access to the colony, now you could be set up for potential success. Now, the other thing is going to be whether or not this is meant to stay on there permanently. I, I don't see how it would not be able to. I kind of think that if it, if it was just meant to be on there for a little bit and then you took it back off, mm -hmm. you're just doing a, a tiny little... I think she needs to go see the sharks. She could. She could definitely be like Michaela and uh, me and the bees lemonade. She could definitely go be on Shark Tank and Shark Tank. help ramp this up. Yep. Get one of them to be her partner and come up with a bunch of money. And here we go. Yeah. Now, there's a there's a video on there. And I think that's where possibly the majority of the information is lying. Because as I scroll up and down through this, um, I don't see... I don't see anything in here that talks about the actual in-practice application of it as to how long it needs to stay on, what it would do. So some of that may be in the video, and I have not watched the video itself. But that is kind of the the interesting aspect of all of this, though, is that that is a very novel approach, and it's a great approach to take. We already have different entrance reducers. We already have mouse guards, things like that. Well, what if you put something on there that is still off-gassing killing the mites as the bees come through it, not affecting your honey harvest and your honey crops and, and, you know, creating that menthol flavor inside those stuff, that actually could be really good. And it could be a way to do a solid treatment right before you go into the peak of production season, have these on there. And if it if it's possible to put them on or interchange them so that it always has the highest efficacy possible for it, you know, it's always fresh, you could kind of ride out the summer when the mite populations would be exploding, and if you've already started by reducing the population and then there's no influx of new mites to it, you could prevent some of these other types of things, and you could possibly prevent mite bombs and all kinds of other stuff. So it's not a bad idea. I, I kind of think it is a really novel idea. I just not, I'm not sure in practice how it would work because I have had adverse effects from thymol. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think you're right. She should definitely uh, look into something like Shark Tank, get some sort of backing, help herself kind of bolster the uh, the whole project and really get it out there and get it mass produced, um, she would, one, be pretty much set for life, and two, be doing a huge service to the beekeeping community if it is effective and does work. And, uh, and here she is, not even really started college yet. Mm -hmm. Next thing we'll be reading books about her. Hey, speaking of, did you know Michaela wrote a book? Yep, I did. I saw it on the news, too. Yeah, yeah, it was on the news. Um, she was on QVC the other day talking about the book and about the, the lemonade and stuff. 
Um, they are obviously super busy with the book release, everything else coming out, but I did reach out to them and congratulated them and was talking to them about some other little side projects that we got going on that I was asking them for input and help with. But we probably should have her back on the, the main segment here and talk about her book. And then uh, maybe we could get her to give away an autographed copy of it as well to one of our listeners. Sounds good. Well, that was the first 13 minutes of the show. What do you want to talk about now? <laughs> hmm. Need some Mario Jambarara honey. What the hell is it? I need some Australian honey. That's what I need. <laughs> well, what we're going to talk about now is all of these dang swarms that... You don't like late, late year swarms. No. And I understand why. Because we have to feed them everything. You have to give them the pollen. You have to give them the sugar water. And then once we get into winter, you're having to either give them sugar or you're having to give them fondant and our sugar with, you know, the dry sugar with a sponge full of water. And, but. I just got email, but, but, uh, what's the difference in that and having a five frame nuke that you winter? Uh, the difference is whether or not they make it to a five frame nuke. So with you having already drawn comb, you can go through and you can cheat. And it kind of goes back over to what we talked about with a, like the fall splits, Fall splits only work if you have drawn comb readily available for the bees to immediately utilize. Mm -hmm. So you can take a swarm and you could turn around and you could put it into a container, give it drawn comb, feed it, and it could bolster itself up to the point where even as a five frame nuke, it could survive the winter and have plenty of food and everything should be good. And you might have to supplementally feed it a little bit here or there, but yes, you'd be great. But unfortunately, most of our listeners and most of the backyard beekeepers out there don't have drawn comb, especially if they're just starting. Uh, yeah, okay. So they can't that. do that. Yeah. So if you catch a swarm late in the year, yeah, they may draw out three frames of comb, and then they may come to a screeching halt, and then that's it. They may not draw out anymore, and then you've just got these three frames, and you're like, what do I do? And that's where you start looking into, do you combine it with another colony that is bigger and stronger? Um, do you you know, try to let them fend for themselves and see how they fare over winter on their own accord. You know, that that's where a lot of that comes into. But most beekeepers, especially when you kind of get up and going, ultimately at some point you've got to start making hard decisions. And those decisions are, do I sacrifice this queen and this colony so that this other colony will absolutely survive? Or do I not and risk losing both of them you know, like where, where does that come into play? And also one of the bigger challenges I think that you've been having mentally is which queen do I keep? This queen is a feral queen and I don't know anything about her. And I paid for this queen over here and I really want her to, to do well and see what she does. You know, so then if you go through and you remove the feral queen and you merge all those together and they do keep her and they, they let that purchased queen, you know, continue on. Who's to say that the purchase queen wasn't the problem with the colony shrinking? Maybe there was something wrong with that batch of queens, you know? And who's to say that the feral queen doesn't actually have the genetics that you really need to survive in this area because it's a it's already, you know, adapted to this area. 
Um, the downside, though, would be that that feral queen obviously has a genetic trait where she likes to swarm at the absolute horrible time of the year to do so. And you wouldn't necessarily want that trait in your colonies either. So there's a lot of, of tough decisions that, you know, especially after your first year or depending on how many colonies you start getting that you have to start making as a beekeeper. And, and some of those are saying goodbye to a queen or, or sucking it up and, and combining two colonies into one and having one good, strong colony, knowing that you've got one fewer colonies, but you're going to be able to survive that other colony better than if you had left them as the two. Now, uh, now on that note, the feral queens that we have here are some laying monsters. I mean, they will fill frames of brood. And, and if they're laying now where you're bought queens, and I'm doing this because I've already been checking, the, the queens that we're catching with the swarms are laying now. The bought queens have pretty much quit laying. And uh, would it not be better if you got a feral queen... How in the heck what am, am I going to say this? Get a a Gen 2. That's what I want to tell you. buy a queen. You let it lay the eggs. Uh, then you have another colony. Or you split it and let them raise a queen off of a Gen 2 queen. Uh, you put a frame of eggs and, and larvae into a bunch of bees, let them raise a queen out of that. Then she goes out, gets mated, and she comes back and she's a generation two. She's a queen that you bought, but she is also part of the feral colony or the feral queen. And now these feral queens are such they're they're so aggressive layers and they have some very aggressive tendencies towards the beekeeper i mean they will <laughs> yeah but but they are a tremendous brood builder and then they gather lots of honey so I don't know. I, I I know that you like the Gen 2 queens and Gen 3 queens, and I'm thinking that's what me and Max are starting to lean towards more towards, too, is uh, maybe, you know, buy a Scratz queen, but use the Gen 2 queen out of a Scratz. Uh, they... Uh, or buy a, an Italian or a Carniolan or whatever, but the Gen 2s in a couple of years, you know, once you split, you take the old queen out and you let the other uh, bunch raise a queen. They just seem to be a little more acclimated to this area. How's that? Does that sound better? Yeah, and that's kind of the thing that I try to do is you have – like I purchase a purebred queen and typically mine are the Russian Carniolan hybrids. Mm -hmm. And then that queen gets treated like a queen and, you know, she'll be here at my home apiary and that colony gets anything and everything that it needs. And then I graft off of her so that I raise queens that start off with her pure full blood genetic profile. But then those queens are open mated with our feral stock around in the area and so I'm pulling in the attributes of the feral colonies that are acclimated to our region, mixing them with the attributes of the Russian Carniolan hybrid genetics that I like, and coming up with a bee that 
is more suited to the area and has kind of hopefully the best of both worlds to it. So that is definitely something that that can be done um, if you can get them to that point to do so. And, you know, raising the queens at the right time of year, making sure they're successfully mated, making sure they're successfully introduced and accepted and and everything goes well helps. Um, I, though, like, I am not a fan, as you said, of the the late year swarms, the late summer swarms. And part of that is also a genetic trait and a genetic attribute. So I wouldn't necessarily want to raise off of the queen that did that. It may be okay to mix some of her genetics by by raising a separate queen and letting that queen mate with those genetics in that area and then, you know, kind of go through and, and change things out. But if I did come across a queen that I had done that with and her colony had a tendency to try to swarm in August or September, I would not breed from that colony. I would find another colony that is not doing that and I would breed from that colony because it's not exhibiting these traits that I don't like. Um, the other aspect of it too, though, about the the feral colonies being like just crazy layers, if you're basing that on all the swarms you just caught, they have to be. They're young. Because and they're building. Well, not only the, the young part, they're actually old because a feral, oh, a, a swarm is always the original queen. And if this is the first time that colony has swarmed this year, that queen is at least a year old. Mm-hmm. So, but the colony has to build, it has to be developed. And so they're immediately going to draw whatever wax they can with what resources they can. And then they're immediately going to start laying because that's the only way they're going to survive by doing this last ditch effort so late in the year. Um, one of the other things that I think is prevalent is there is potentially a higher chance to have the scutellata genetics, the Apis mellifera scutellata genetics in there if they are randomly willy-nilly swarming so late in the year because the scutellata genetics programs them to think, well, there should be food all year round. We can swarm whenever we want to. And they may be swarming both as a mite prevention um, where they're bailing and leaving a colony with all the mites and going off and starting a new colony, which then turns the one they left into a mite bomb. Mm-hmm. And then when that colony blows up and dies, maybe that's where all your colonies out there are getting the mites from. And that may be why you're experiencing that, plus these random late year swarms that are huge instead of small, because it could be more of that scutellata genetics and how they deal with mite infestations. It could also be the scutellata genetics and how they deal with just swarming in general. They they do it at the drop of a hat. They do it frequently and, you know, they will, they don't take into consideration the fact that they need to stop and store up food because winter's coming. So that, it could go either way, really. So the scootalata, does that mean scootalata bees out the door? Scootalata bees out the door. <laughs> and swarm. Okay. <laughs> Well, they come after you, and you scoot a lot away really they fast. They do. They will come after you. You open that box up, and I mean, they're in your face. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely let you know they are not keen on whatever it is that you're trying uh, to accomplish. Not at all. But, yeah, that's uh, that's that's it. I've, I, I'm assuming you guys have not put the extractor together yet still. No. We haven't. That's going to be <laughs> this next week. We'll get it done. <laughs> Well, we only got the one. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> the I did text Max and I 
told him to be aware that when you guys do pull the extractor out, you need to wash it down um, with like a mild soap and water and then rinse it out and dry it out because it's going to have fine metal and graphite particulates inside that drum. So the drum looks nice and shiny, but if you run your hand across it, your hand will come out black. Okay, we'll clean it. So, yeah, make sure to scrub out the inside of it pretty good. Definitely be careful because all of the the wire work mm-hmm. that is your basket that your frames go in have lots of sharp little edges and corners, and they will very easily cut you up. Okay. Um, and then what else? Mm. Just clean it and grease it and bolt it down if we're going to leave it in one place. Yeah. I don't think... Um, when it first arrives, you don't have to grease it. Okay. But after you've used it for a little while, you do, because it should come with the food grade grease already in it, but then every so often you have to redo that part. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, if you're going to bolt it in place, do so. If not, then don't worry about it. Um, just make sure that when you're putting your frames in there, you balance it out. So if you've got two really heavy frames and two really light frames, make sure the heavies go opposite each other and the lights go opposite each other that way, when it spins, it's still going to wobble and bounce, but it doesn't hopefully, like, throw you off and run away because um, it can do that. <laughs> it can walk out the door. Yep. It can just straight up walk away. Walk out the door. Mm-hmm. So, I think we've, uh, at this point, um, hopefully everybody has made it out there to check out the first iteration of T-shirts. Uh, everybody got notified on that this weekend and then the this previous weekend. And then the, the main audience found out about it on Monday's episode. And so hopefully everybody has been out there, checked out the new website, checked out the T-shirts. Uh, hopefully you like them. Um, it is our, our very first edition and it will be a limited edition. And we gave you way more color options than you honestly needed. I should have just left it at one or two. But... Hopefully it uh, it is it is a well received thing that we've been talking about for what seems like forever and is now finally a reality. So <laughs> hope you all enjoy. The pandemic. We're gonna blame it on the pandemic. Well, I mean that is actually true. So it did take us a while to get to that point, and then when we finally were ready and at that point, then COVID hit and everything went to crap. Blame it but on the COVID. That's gonna be world. a country and western song. Blame it on the COVID. Blame it on the COVID. Anyhow, for today, we will leave you with that and leave you with those things to think about and hope that you have a great upcoming weekend and we will chat with you all later. Yep. Be healthy. Be good, family. There you go. Be safe. Bye-bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, You truly are the bee's knees.